I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Episode 56 of the Intercooler podcast is slightly late, not too late, but we've, we've held it for what we think is a good reason, um, because we've been waiting for the Porsche 911 GT3 embargo to lift, so that we can not only talk about it, but tell you everything you want to know about what this new GT3 is like to drive. We've both driven it. Um, which is unusual. Uh, I've only had to go on track, but Andrew, you've had a quick go on the road as well. Yeah, I've, had, yeah, I've, dri- I've driven it, um, not a huge distance on road, but far enough on, on roads that I know, um, far enough to have a view. Um, and I think, the, I think the interesting thing about it is when we, when we were sort of um, writing the technical descriptions and I've read a piece about saying, I've driven the GT3, but I can't tell you about it because of this embargo system that the industry has, um, there were quite a lot of... Um, responses of people saying uh along the lines you don't really need to know about it because we know what it's going to be like because um we've seen the technical stuff on it and you know it's just going to be like the old one but a bit better or you know a bit faster so what's the point um and here's the thing it's not like the old one is it Mm, yeah it's do you know what you're right to point that out because i think there is a bit of it's been there for a while, uh, Porsche GT car fatigue among some yeah. quarters. Because, well, partly because we know that these cars are flipping hard to buy, even if you've got the money, if you're not on the list. Fair enough. Um, but I, I think people are, have also had enough of reading that the, the GT3s are fantastic to drive and there's nothing else quite like them. And all that same old stuff that they've been reading for almost 20 years, more than 20 years, actually. Um, but for, this is quite a different car to the previous one. Um, and I think... You know, even if you feel like you've heard everything you can possibly bear to hear about the 911 GT3, stay tuned. I think you might find some of this quite interesting. Um, we will go deep on what this new car is like to drive. I think we should run through some of the numbers, though, just to sort of bring ourselves and everybody else up to speed. Um, so it costs £123,000, which is 
It doesn't. That's a decent increase. Oh, it go doesn't. on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what they originally released. If you go on their website, right. it's gone up. It's okay, 120. It's, 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 and I've confirmed this with Porsche. It's 127,820. It's basically, it is today almost exactly £16,000 more than the previous GT3 was when that came out in 2017. Um, which is, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a, what is that? Sort of nearly 15% pay, um, price rise. Now, you know, it's a bit quicker and it's got some stuff on it, but that's, that, I mean, it's kind of, you can just see Porsche just starting to think, well, we can squeeze a bit more money out of these cars because they've always been, haven't they? Those cars that, you know, you've, you've driven in and you thought to yourself, well, really, would I rather have a McLaren or a Ferrari than this as a thing to drive? And yet it's whatever it is, 60, 70, 80 grand cheaper. And you can just see Porsche thinking, well, actually, we can be a bit close to those guys now. So, yeah, I mean, so it's quite, it's quite a price hike um, on top of the old one. And I mean, that's not going to uh, that's not going to dull demand for these cars at all, is it? People are still going to want them, even at no. as part of And that's the other extraordinary thing with, with with these machines is you know another thing that's always been in the comments is yeah you keep on banging on about the GT3, but you know who cares because no one can actually buy one because unless you're one of the favoured guys, you're not going to get. And yet, this is a standard production car. You know, this isn't some limited edition special of which they're only going to make 500 units. Um, they'll make plenty. They always do. And yet Porsche has this ability. And if you talk to the guys at McLaren, it's probably what they admire about Porsche most of all. Is they have the ability to create this mystique so that even though they will make as many as their production line will can, can produce in the period of time that uh, they have to produce it, there is still such demand for them that... You know, you or I, if we walked into our local Porsche dealer and said, I'd like to order a GT3, please, they'd just laugh, wouldn't they? Yeah, the demand is still so strong for them. Even with them getting churned out of the factory, they'll all get snapped up. But there is a, I sometimes see a com- comments along the lines of, why are we bothering to, re- to review a car that you can't buy? Which is, I understand the frustration, but that's nonsense because tell the people who have bought one that you can't buy one. There are, there are plenty of people out there. Also, we're, we're enthusiasts, you know. Yeah. The, the basic, I mean, we barely, we, we rarely review a car I can buy, and yet that doesn't mean mm. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't want to know what they're like. Um, you know, sh- sh- I mean, should we only restrict ourselves to reviewing cars that you know that any normal person would be able to buy? You know, some sort of Ford Fiestas downwards. I mean, come on, it's not what we're here for. We're not a consumer show. We're just enthusiasts sharing our passion, whether we can afford to indulge that passion in that particular way or not it's funny that there's so much frustration out there among among certain people it's it's bizarre to see actually anyway let's get back to the car um, and set the technical details so 510 horsepower 503 brake horsepower so it's up 10 points um nominal really it, but because it's it's the same engine four liter na flat yep. six rest it, nine it, it now exactly in power terms splits the difference between an old gt3 and an old gt3 rs yeah okay so they I mean, really, it didn't need any more power, did it? But someone within Porsche's marketing department says it has to have more power than the last one, which I suppose is understandable. Um, but it's, it's the same engine, same um, uh, gearbox options, PDK or manual. Um, the manual is actually a no-cost option, isn't it? Which is Cheeky. another way of saying... <laughs> yeah, it's, you're paying the same for that as you would for a normally more expensive PDK. Um, the car particularly- has Particularly given that you know, with the you know, not only does Porsche it costs Porsche a lot less to have the manual gearbox, 
um, they don't, you know, they, they, they don't have the edif with it either. You just got a standard locker on it, haven't you? So it's a, it's a big saving to Porsche. Um, the engine, I should say, and this is a point that Porsche makes, um, and this is absolutely true, is that it is the same engine that they use in the racing car in the GT, in the GT3 Cup car. Uh, it is that engine. Um, and if you've driven a GT3 Cup car, which I'm lucky enough to have done, you absolutely believe it. Um, so it is, you know, it is proper, isn't it? This is, you know, so many car manufacturers go, oh, yes, it's our, you know, it's our racing. This really is the race car engine. Um, and it was in the race car before it was in the road car. So, yeah, I mean, it's a proper thing. Mm, yeah, that is really cool. Um, the car has grown slightly compared to the last one. It's ever so slightly longer, ever so slightly taller as well. Um, and yet it's five kilograms heavier, which is, again, that's nothing. Um, but, I mean, it's worth having a quick conversation about how they've kept the weight almost at a level, um, because it is a slightly bigger car. Uh, but, we know uh, they've not, used not, thinner it, glass. It, it, yeah, it, it's, well, so it's not just a bigger car, but it's got bigger wings on it. Uh, mm, bigger it's wheels. It's got bigger wheels it's got different front it's got heavier there's more front suspension that for reasons we'll come to in a minute in a minute you know there are all sorts of reasons why that car should be and i've done the maths you know between 40 and 50 kilos heavier than the last and it's actually only five so yeah um I, are you going to trot us through what well, they saved and where yeah, they saved it well the, i mean the glass is one um but the and that, that does only save a handful of kilograms but I mean, maybe there's sound deadening material that's come out as well and other bits and pieces that potentially will make this GT3 a slightly less refined car in normal, perhaps motorway driving, for instance, than, than the previous one. If, you know, given that they, they have kept the weight almost at a level, despite it being a bigger car with more stuff on it, um, clearly weight has come out from somewhere. And it's just, okay, that's, that's probably a good thing, but it's worth just bearing in mind that that might have consequences elsewhere. Um, yeah. And I, ha- I, have, I have done a list because I'm like, wait. Okay, should we have it? So I, <laughs> so I, I can tell you what the, where the weight has come from. So um, forgive me for referring to my notes. 10 kilograms in the battery is now a lithium-ion battery. 10 kilos right there. 10 kilos out the exhaust system. Imagine how heavy that exhaust was before. Um, there's six kilos somewhere in the engine. Don't know where that is. Three and a half in the engine mounts. Uh, the front wheels are 1.3 kilos lighter. It's got a um, carbon fiber reinforced plastic bonnet now, which didn't have before. It's two and a half kilos. The rear deck, half a kilo. 4.7 kilos in the glass. 1.9 in the sound deadening. Um, and that is before you get into the options. So if you decide to have um ceramic brakes that's 17 kilos um yeah if you decide to have a carbon fiber reinforced plastic roof that's another kilo and so on and on and on so it's a lot of weight isn't it yeah they've had to work quite hard to to not let this thing get much fatter than the last one um and uh, what okay so we'll get to the front suspension in a moment but it's also worth talking about the aero um definitely 150 percent more aerodynamic downforce in the last car at 124 miles per hour almost 400 kilos of the stuff that's a 150 percent that's that's a huge increase that's one and a half times more um so much more than double and that's thanks in part to that top mounted rear wing that doesn't sit on its supports but it hangs from them which means it's the underside of a wing that does the work so that means it can work more efficiently but also it's the overall aerodynamic package is more intricate on this car 
Um, and <clears throat> the, the wing has got, it's adjustable, and then you've got a couple of diffusers right at the front of the car that you can adjust yes. to, to match the rear wing. Um, and so it's, it's manipulating the air much more than the last one was. Um, and, and, and okay. I, th- I, think, I think we should also talk a bit about, you know, we talk about it's 385 kilos of downforce in, in, in when you put it into maximum attack mode. I think it's, it's 230 is kind of, you know, as it comes out of the showroom. Um, but I, I think sometimes, I say this only because I used to have this problem myself, um, people see that number and think, well, what does it mean? I mean, they can envis- visualize what 385 kilos might be. Um, but they don't know the effect it has on the car. And, you know, let's say the car only had two kilos of downforce. You can increase that by 150% and you still only have five kilos of downforce, which would not be significant to anybody. So what we're talking about here is, you know, this isn't an amount of downforce which is going to, you know, make your cheek ripples and, 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 and that sort of thing. This isn't sort of, you know, race car levels of downforce. This is a level of downforce which you're going to notice most, not really so much through the additional grip through a quick corner, but through the stability of the car, um, which to me is actually far more important. It, you will notice it. You'll just feel more confident in the car. It's just going to, it's going to float less um, and it's just going to stay plant. Planted is the word. Um, and that is, yeah, that's where the confidence is going to come from. So it's not like your apex speed is going to go up 20 miles an hour. You know, we're not talking about those sorts of levels of downforce. By comparison, McLaren P1's got 600 kilos, I think, when it's in track mode and it's dropped on the deck, and I think a Senna is 800. Um, so even at half a Senna, that is still a significant amount of downforce in road car context. Um, but in race car context, you're talking about thousands and thousands. So yeah, just put that into perspective. And uh, yeah, you say you'll notice it in, uh, in how the car feels planted, but actually the reality is you'll probably notice it in how the car rides. Um, and do you care to explain that? Well, very simply, you know, if you're putting thick end of 400 kilos on the car through a quick corner, you know, the body has to be able to support that weight. And the only way you can do that is through the spring rate. So you have to have stiffer springs on the car if you're going to have that amount of downforce. I mean, if you think of the McLaren P1, when that does that incredibly clever thing where it drops down to the ground. Um, and so one of the things that does, obviously, is you get... Uh, you get better downforce from the airflow underneath the car because the car is that much lower. But also, at the same time, it triples the spring rate. That's why you can't drive a McLaren in race mode on the, on the public, McLaren P1 in race mode on the public road. And it needs to triple the spring rate to support the body um, for the amount of downforce that it's generating. Um, and, well, I mean, I think one of the most significant things about this car, um, and we actually saw it with the last GT3 RS, um, is that they've doubled the spring rate at the front. Um, and you know that is very significant and and that kind of i suspect that has been done to accommodate the downfalls but as we will go on to discuss it's it's not the only thing it affects is it no so okay so where are we at then we've got um we've got thinner glass we've got less sound deadening we've got significantly stiffer springs all that stuff is just worth bearing in mind as we have this discussion about this car um there's okay so we've there's a wider track at the front i think it's 40 mil or something um tires are 10 mil uh, wider all round so there's much more rubber on the road and a wider track um more aero um so that's really going to help the way the, the way the car gets into a corner but the thing that will make a profound difference in that regard is that this is the first road going 911 ever to have 
a double wishbone front suspension arrangement. Um, that is a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal. It, it really is a big deal. I mean, you know, um, it's always been regarded, a double wishbone at the front has always been regarded as the... Um, the optimal choice, hasn't it? Um, it gives you maximum um, control over the wheel, effectively. Uh, it also gives you minimum um, geometry change as the car, as the wheel goes through its arc of motion. motion. Um, so that's why, you know, if you look at every Formula One car today uh, and going back for decades and decades and decades, you know, they've all got double wishbone front suspension. The 911 never had it. You know, it came out in 1963 with a McPherson strut on it. Uh, and that's what it has had. I mean, the only 911 until now to have had double wishbone front suspension is their current Lamour car, you know, the, the, you know, the RSR. Um, and that's had it for a bit. Um, but this is the first time they've gone and stuck it on, um, on the streetcar. And it does kind of change everything, doesn't it? Mm, it really does. It really does change everything. Um, again, we'll come back to that. Um, it's also <clears throat> so the other thing about that front suspension is it's completely rose jointed there's no i don't think there's any rubber in the front suspension it's all you know it's it's all rose joint so um it just gives you and and they say and i believe them because porsche aren't the sort of co- the company that will sort of you know talk nonsense about this sort of thing they say that the, the suspension is derived from the rsr suspension um and you know it probably isn't the same actual components um but it's doing much the same sort of job i remember speaking to a porsche engineer several years ago now um <clears throat> And we were just pouring over the car, uh, a 911, and I said to them, would, an, would a 911 benefit from having a double wishbone front suspension arrangement? And he sort of thought, mm, it would, a bit. But because, he said, because the 911 carries its weight at the rear, and actually it's really light at the front, it would be a marginal gain. Um, <clears throat> in, in sort of overall terms, it would... You know, you'd, you wouldn't do it unless you'd reached the point where you'd maximised everything else. And so I think that's where Porsche is now. They've evolved this GT3 recipe over 20-odd years to such a point where they're now having to go, OK, we're going to have to do something once in a lifetime um, to, keep the, to keep taking forward steps with this machine. Um, and so that's what they've done. And, I mean, it is a marginal gain, but when you drive it, it's, it has a huge um, it, uh, impact on the way the car actually gets in and holds on to a line in a corner. Um, but anyway, let's, we're, we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit. <clears throat> um, let's just talk about the cabin briefly, because this new 992, the basic 911 uh, cabin in this new 992 generation, it's it's a much more sort of intricately designed thing than the last one. 911s have tended to have almost austere, very sort of <clears throat> simple, plain cabins. But this one has, it's, it's sort of three-dimensional. It's got lots of different elements and it's, it's layered. And it looks, quite, it looks quite luxe, actually, a bit like a lounge. Um, and I just wondered if it might seem, you know, you, you, can, you might have driven a Carrera or something with a porous wood dashboard and it's you just think well how how are they going to make this feel as purposeful as a gt3 should um and yet the moment i sat in this car the other day i thought wow it feels great in here because it had this sort of smoky black trim um and it's yeah it just it looks fantastic um and that the car we drive also had the cage which is optional and the carbon fiber bucket seats um yeah which which make a big difference steering wheel yeah and so you, you just sit there thinking i'm in a racing car um, yeah. So you know, it, it's a it's a great place to. Did you find? Did sit, you find the? Um, sort of did you find the track mode displays as well? Uh, so I was a, in track mode. 
Oh yeah, no, so no, you, no, yeah. yeah with, with the with the dots. So there's um, there's a button you can press. Uh, I think there's a menu you've got to go into to get to it. But I mean, this isn't you know sort of super trick or super clever. But it's just it's just nice because it just because it's all apart from the rev counter, it's everything else now TFT displays, so they can project anything they want onto it. Um, and when you press that button, all the normal displays disappear, and all you get, I think, uh, oil pressure, oil temperature uh, on one side, your rev counter in the middle, and your tire pressures on the next. So all the information you don't need disappears. All the information you do need is, and that's just, you know, that's just, um, it's not sort of like, you know, some manufacturers, BMW, um, love to sort of, you know, <laughs> absolutely blind you with tech and just give you all the information about everything the car is doing. Because I, I, I don't criticize it because I think some people really get into the, you know, that sort of really geeky stuff. Um, and this isn't Porsche doing that at all. This is just Porsche going, okay, so what do you need to know when you're out on the track? Well, you need to know what your tire pressure is doing. You need to know what your oil pressure is and you need to know what your revs are. That's it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like that. I think that's, uh, I think that's thoughtful and proper and, um, and a good thing to do. Yeah, and when you're really hammering around a lap, you can't you can't take in too much information, can you? It's just sort of overwhelming. So yeah, it's very clever. Um, final comment on the cabin then is the the, P, the PDK lever, um, which looks like a manual gear stick, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it's very different to that little stubby thing that you get in a Carrera or a Turbo. And the the key thing about that is that you can flip it over, push it over to the side, and use it as a, a sequential shifter. Um, I don't know whether or not people do that, but you, you can't do that with a, a, a basic uh, 911 Carrera or a Turbo. So I think it's great that the GT3 still offers that option, at least. I think it's great that it offers the option, but do you like the actual... Do you like the fact that you look inside a PDK GT3 and see something which looks like it's got a manual gearbox? <laughs> uh, I don't think I mind it. I mean, I've been fooled by it. I've seen pictures and gone, it's a manual. And then you see the paddles or the, it's only got two pedals. You think, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, um, it's, it's slightly odd. I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't want a big sort of T-bar or anything like that, but um, I just find it slightly confusing. I, I, I wish it looked a bit different to the manual, but this, this isn't a big deal. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's, let's get into the driving impressions then. Um, start with the powertrain. I mean, it's, it's more or less carried over and it's, it's just as spectacular as it was before, isn't it? Um, and particularly when you're driving on track, you, you want an NA engine and you want it to rev to the heavens just because it's so satisfying to ring it out gear after gear. And particularly when you're diving on the brakes and pulling for downshifts and the engine's giving you that whap, whap, that great, that really sharp response and that hard edge character. It's so much more exciting than even a good turbo engine. Um, Sounds great. It's got a particular filter on it now. It still sounds good from inside, doesn't it? It's, it's, it sounds it sounds incredible. Um, and I, I don't know if I should if, if I should say this. I probably I might get into trouble for saying this. But while we, we all the drives are done at the Bedford Auto Dream, um, and while I was there, Jonathan Palmer happened to turn up um, and you know asked if he could do a couple of laps. And Jonathan, who may be in his mid sixties now, um, you know, drove it as you would expect him to drive the car. And he came back in and he just went. He just, he was just completely knocked out by the powertrain. I mean, I think he loved the car generally, but he just said, this is, you know, a normally aspirated engine that sounds like that and revs tonight. And also he was talking about the way that it delivers its power, that it, the, the way that it, you know, it's got a broad power band, but it's always building. It's always getting more urgent, more exciting. Is it? And you know, all these things that, you know, the best twin turbo V8 just doesn't do. Um, 
And, you know, he, I think he said he thought it was the best powertrain in the world. And for that kind of car, I wouldn't argue with that. I really wouldn't argue with that. Um, I don't need a car to be more powerful than that. I do need cars to sound like that. I do need cars to deliver their power like that. And, and it is spectacular is the word to describe that powertrain, isn't it? It's just, if, if, you know, yeah. Um, probably the best sports car engine in production at the moment. Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, 510 horsepower, it's, it almost seems twee, that level of output now for, for you know, such an exotic car. We're used to seven, six, 600 horsepower outputs, 700 horsepower outputs, even more. But in a car that weighs, it's 1435, isn't it, with PDK? Also, keep them. What do you do? What, what's, the, what, what, what's that extra couple of hundred horsepower actually doing for you? Um, you know, if you haven't got the throttle response and you haven't got the power delivery and you haven't got the sound um what are you actually what's it actually buying you um yeah i mean it's idiot clearly you know cars with that that level of power the sort of the other seven eight hundred horsepower you know they are thrilling um when you can put that power down when you find somewhere um and you have the traction and everything else but um yeah i just i just rather as i said i just rather have the response and the noise Mm, absolutely agree okay you'd rather have the response than the noise but would you when you were driving this car on track i mean yeah did you miss having a manual gearbox yes absolutely this, always that's really interesting <laughs> we know the manual is coming um now in a, in a normal in a normal 992 on a road uh, i'm really in two minds about that i'm almost a pdk man when it comes to those um because a it's a road environment and even on a track uh the pdk really does suit a 992 but also because the manual standard 992 has got seven gears um which is one too many for my very small brain to be able to get its head around in a manual format um a six-speed manual gt3 no i got no absolutely not gt3s yeah i mean i would always i would always have a manual yeah I've, i've reached the point now where if i'm driving on track i'd actually rather have paddles um it just it just allows me to concentrate on getting other bits right that I find more exciting. Um, yeah. Okay. But on the road, yeah, I'd have a manual. Uh, but anyway, the, the PDK, it's for, for it of its type, it's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, it's as good as it gets, yes. It's absolutely instantaneous. It's absolutely seamless. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, the, 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 there may be PDKs out there that are, are as good. There certainly aren't any that are better. Okay. Um, <laughs> we told people that this GT3 is actually quite different to the last one. Not in that regard, because that, that's what we'll carry over. <laughs> yeah. But in, chassis-wise, I mean, there are significant differences. So let's talk about some of those now. Um, we know it's got more aero. We know it's got more rubber on the road. Um, and it, it really grips, doesn't it? There's three things, isn't it, you know, that change this car. It's the aero, it's the spring rate, and it's the double wishbones. Those are the three things which are so significantly different um, to this car. Um, so are we going to talk about it on the road or on the track? Uh, let's do track uh first okay um I, I mean i knew this car was different before i was you know out of the out of, out of the paddock um you just drive along the, you, you literally just driving towards the track and you just do that that and the car just does it it just it just responds so precisely so immediately and although we don't know it you know if like you or i you're lucky enough to drive you know 11s and you know cars generally an awful lot in your head your your brain knows what it should feel like and it just it just felt, as I said, immediately more respi- precise, immediately more responsive. It felt more like a racing car. 
Um, you know, I'm not going to say it's a racing car for the road because it's not because, you know, it's not, it's a road car for all sorts of different reasons, but it's gone further down that road, far further down that road than, than, than I expected. And I think probably in that regard, probably further than the old GT3 RS. Um, and then you get out on the track and what you discover is a car that I described it in another magazine I work for occasionally as less of a toy and more of a weapon. Um, and I, 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 have, I repeat it now only because I've struggled to find a better way of describing it. It's, it's not a car that is as interested in doing all the silly stuff as the last one, um, which was great for skidding about it. This is a car, uh, and I actually prefer it this way on a track, this is a car for really, really driving, for being on the limit, for feeling those nuances of response, um, feeling the way the car is working and really just sort of making the most of your driving, really getting you to a place as a driver where you have the confidence and you have the feel, where you feel that you are driving that car as well as you possibly can. And the reward that you get from it, because it always hits its marks, because you always know where it is, um, I find utterly thrilling. Now, obviously, it, it does do the other stuff because, you know, it's a 911 and it's got 500 horsepower and you, and, and you can absolutely hoof it around and be very silly with it. And I'm sure we'll see lots of people doing that. Um, but it's not what that car's about anymore. It's a car that is, it is about precision driving. Uh, it's so much more of a track-honed car than the last one. I mean, I, I mean, I've described it as being midway between an old GT3 and an old GT3 RS. If I think about it, um, I would actually, if I had to say which it was closer to, I would say it's closer to an old GT3 RS in its sort of road track ratio, the balance but it strikes between the two. I say it is more of a track car and less of a road car. Um, and on the track, that's amazing. I absolutely, I mean, I was just found myself laughing at it and you know the precision that you get from that front suspension the grip that you get from the aero um the body control that the spring rate brings you all that sort of stuff all just contributes to elevating what you know this is this is just a i say normal this is just a g just a gt3 it's not a gt3 rs you know it's not their ultimate track tool i mean goodness knows what that's going to be like um, and yet, you know, sitting on a track, it, is, it feels more at home than any GT3, far more at home than any GT3 that I've, uh, that, that, that I've ever driven. Um, so, yeah, amazing. They've really dialed it up for the track, haven't they? Um, all, that, <clears throat> all that extra aero, I mean, we, we spoke about it earlier. You don't feel it pressing you down into the road the way you feel aero in a racing car, but you, you just sense stability. And that gives you real confidence. Um, and the whole car, you use the word planted, which is the right word. And when you're piling into a corner on the brakes, you don't feel it squirming around that weight behind you trying to rotate the car. It's just planted and it's just flat and level and stable. Um, and it, it means you have so much confidence and it steers so intuitively. Um, you just, you don't really think about the steering because it's just so good. Um, you, you, you know, you're not having to adapt to it or to try and figure out what it's telling you. It's just, it's just clear and crisp and there's clarity to it. Um, so it is exceptionally capable on, on track. 
it doesn't really feel a lot like a 911 anymore because it tucks into a corner so well with that extra rubber, that um, extra aero, particularly in the quick stuff, but also the double wishbone suspension and the wider tracks. It just means it gets into a corner and holds a line so insistently. Um, but, I mean, it's still a 911. The weight is still out the back. Um, so it doesn't feel like a 911 in the way it tucks into a corner, but you can still provoke it using that sort of pendulous effect of the engine out the back there to get the thing moving around. Um, so it still has that sort of three-dimensionality to it that you want from a 911. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing to me is it it made me realise that I've always been managing the front end of 911s. And you only realise you've been doing that when you don't have to do it anymore. And actually, with the way you drive a 911 and the old sort of slow out fast in i mean you know that that that, that adage was the way around coin. slow in fast out <laughs> sorry it's early it'll um, cause people to crash if you say that <laughs> <laughs> yes fast everywhere um but the reason you know but that, that was originally coined because um people were scared about the back end of these things doing funny things but in fact more recently it has become you know, slow in, fast out, because it's actually more about managing the nose on the way in and then maximising the traction on the way out. Um, and you just don't have to do that anymore. You can fling it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that is probably the way the car has most changed. And as you say, it, it, in, a, in, a, in a very positive way, it doesn't actually feel, in that regard alone, like an old GT3 feels, um, it feels much more precise. I mean, it has got an enormous appetite for an apex now, um, and you just don't have to extend it those courtesies you had to in the past, where you just have to sort of guide the nose in, and then once you know that the nose is going where you want it to be, then you can get back on the gas and do everything else that you want to do. Um, because now you just turn the steer and it goes. Um, okay, devil's advocate for a moment. There will be people listening thinking, well, if previous GT3s have been such understeering pigs, why have we all said that they're brilliant for 20 years? Well, because they're not understeering pigs, and I don't think I've ever described a, a GT3 as such. Um, but you know, they are what they are is 911s, and they've always handled in a, in a very particular way. And, you know, old GT3s are fantastic things um, because they are so enjoyable to drive and they are so responsive and they have so much feel and and, and all these things that you know we and they're, and they're so easy to control um you know on and over the limit I mean, all these things are the reasons that we have loved gt3s um so none of that goes away it's not like actually we've been you know we've been hoodwinked or we've um misunderstood them whatever you know, that all stands that is as true today as it ever was but what it has got now is it's just got this additional level um, of ability, um, which which the old car didn't have. So, you know, I, I stand as it will everybody else by every word that we said about the old GT3s. They're still wonderful, wonderful cars. Yeah, agreed. And you, you just had to drive them in a particular way. And it was easy to do and rewarding when you did it. So yeah. no, I, I, it was never also, a big problem. And also, going back to the point I made at the beginning of this, when I said, you know, it's only now that I realise um, that I have been driving those cars in a particular way because you're so sort of used to it um and because it's only when so i'm about to call it a problem it's not a problem it's only when that characteristic goes away that you're kind of even aware that it's been there all along um so it's not like this has been some oh my goodness you know this is one you know this is a fatal <laughs> flaw in the, it. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, it's not that um and and you know and also to an extent we are talking about fairly you know nuanced um changes in behavior because the car is already at such a level um, and I am talking about driving cars, you know, on a track in a way that, 
you know, maybe not everybody would drive a car on a track. Um, so, you know, you've got to bear that in mind as well. But, um, yeah, but for those who do want to drive their GT3s like that on a car and able to, and there will be plenty, plenty of owners who do, um, then this is important stuff. So we need to talk mm. about it. Um, okay, so last comment on the GT3 on track. <clears throat> I think, actually, one of the things I admire most about it is that there's a robustness to that car. It just, it's not, it's not worried about being hammered around track all day long, is it? It's, it's just so up for it. Um, I, drove, I drove the car, and the only sign that it had been abused on track for a morning um, was the two cooked rear tyres. Otherwise, the car felt fine. Yeah, but it hadn't been just abused on track for, for the morning. It had had days of it. Yeah. Um, and because of COVID, um, and I don't think I'm breaking any state secrets here, um, Porsche only had one car in this country. Um, because there was another European launch going on at Bilsterberg, uh, which obviously we couldn't go to. Um, and so they had, they had one car. Not only did they have one car, this was like an early pre-production prototype. This is not a car that, you know, they would ever consider selling to a member of the public. And that car just got nailed for three or four days solid around Bedford. Absolutely good as gold. Mm. Yeah, you're, apart from a, you know, a lightweight track special, you're paying a lot of money before you get something else with that kind of durability um, on circuit you're looking at a, an LT McLaren or something um, okay that's the GT3 on track you drove it out of the gates at Bedford Autodrome and onto some of the the, the roads around there I <clears throat> I used to um, I worked at Evo for three years and for the the final year or so our office was on the same site as the Bedford Autodrome and so I know the roads around that place so well intimately i've driven so many cars along them i even took some chassis testers from kia to those roads because they wanted to come over to the uk they wanted a journalist to drive one of their forthcoming cars and just give them some feedback on it and i said um meet me here i know exactly the right roads because they're so they're challenging and they're typical of of our roads as well um and you've driven the gt3 on them so go on what, what were your impressions Big pause. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find the right words. Um, okay, it is it is certainly less of an everyday car than the previous GT3 was. Um, and to me, that is not a point in its favour. One of the things that I've always loved about standard GT3s is they've made such great daily drivers. Now, I'm not saying that you wouldn't use this um in that role but you'd have to be fairly robust um because of everything that we've talked about because of the spring rate that it's carrying um because of the sound deadening that's been got that's been taken out of it because of the thin glass it's it's quite noisy there's a bit of a um low rev resonance um and the ride is i wouldn't i would stop short of calling it harsh and uh, and not suitable for the road or anything else, but it's it's it, it's on the it's very much on the firm side of comfortable, um, you know. And I'm reasonably resilient when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, so you know, if I find it on the firm side of comfortable, some people may find it a bit too firm for comfort. Um, so it is compromised. There's no question at all that Porsche has, and I suspect quite wittingly, deliberately compromised this car's ability on road to provide it with that ability on track um now if you get it on the right road and you don't worry too much about you know and, and now you're not sort of going about your daily business but you're actually driving the car it's mesmerizing 
you know, for everything that we've talked about, you know, you know, a lot of the same stuff applies, um, particularly the precision of the steering. Um, you know, it's got so much traction out of a corner. It gets, it now gets into the corner so well. You've got that, you know, that engine is good on the road as it is on the track. The gearbox is as good on the road as it is on the track. You've got so much going for you on the road as a driving experience. So the only area, but it is significant in which the car is compromised is in that sort of and i haven't done this i haven't driven it down a motorway and i wouldn't want to tell anybody that i had um but i have sort of you know cruised up whatever that big road is it the a6 that goes past um you know whatever i've done a bit of yeah so yeah so 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 i've I've done i've done a bit on that and so i have an idea and i and i can remember and i deliberately you know drove it on that road thinking uh, how would i feel were this my you know my daily commute or you know what and I, I you know for me it's it's okay but not much more than that um whereas you know i know someone who has well i've had a couple of people who have got um old gt3 tourings and they're just lovely they are just lovely daily drivers and here's the thing and that's why i said i thought porsche were being quite did this quite wittingly and almost deliberately i think what they're doing is repositioning the gt3 um i mean I, I genuinely don't know that some people will be hearing this thing, ah, you know something you don't and you can't talk about it and ever i have no idea so what i'm about to say comes from no knowledge base whatsoever nobody has told me this nobody has even uh, alluded to this but the only way i can um understand what porsche has done with this car is to think that there's something else coming and it's clearly going to be the new touring which we know even though porsche hasn't confirmed we know absolutely is coming probably this year and i think and i think it's a very smart thing to do that porsche is having basically with the previous touring just done a gt3 um but without the wings uh, and a much more subtle i think that what they're going to do actually what i hope they're going to do is a gt3 touring with actually a not which doesn't just look different um it has its behavior is different too so it is softer and it has you know maybe they'll have to make it 10 kilos heavier who cares uh, because this will effectively be a road car um, and it'll have the sound deadening back in and it will have the fat glass on it and it'll have softer spring rates and that that could be an absolutely mind-bending car it really could i mean that could be you know our next 10 star car it really could um i don't want to pre- pre- prejudge it maybe it won't be anything like that maybe it will be like that but they'll somehow have got it wrong. who knows but that is what i think is going on here that is at least what i hope is going on here because i can't see otherwise given that there is still a track car coming there is still a gt3 rs coming i can't see why they would have moved the gt3 so far away from where it was if it wasn't to make space for something else mm. Yeah, so we, we think they're repositioning the GT3, <clears throat> um, and that's why it's the most changed GT3 that they've done in 20-odd years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really we does have we, a different we, character. Sorry, we, we say we think it. That's just what we have concluded from our experiences. As I say, this is not based on any knowledge at all. Um, and there may be people at Porsche, people at Porsche listen to this, and they may be sitting there thinking, no, 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 that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. We just kind of thought <laughs> we'd make the GT3 more exciting. Um, which they have done um fair enough but um i do hope but what if that is the case what that will mean is that there is no longer a gt3 that you can that most owners would choose to use as a daily driver um i mean most gt3 owners don't choose to use a daily driver to drive now if you see what i mean but i still think that 
taking away that ability from the GT3 and not putting it back in any other GT3 is would be a shame. Yeah, it would it would be a shame. And so the thing about the touring is that it wouldn't have the rear wing, it wouldn't have anything like the downforce, it wouldn't need the spring rate to support the downforce that's no, exactly. longer, no longer there. So it could be a, a more relaxed kind of machine again. Um, and the daily driver 911 that lots of people will will, will miss in the, this new uh, GT3 with the with the wing. Um, and yeah, I mean, with that engine, a manual box, more subtle styling, perhaps a little bit more sound deadening material. That oh, gee, the touring, it could be wow. special. Let's just hope. Let's could just be. hope we're right about yeah. what Porsche yeah. is planning to do with that car. Uh, okay, yeah. well there we go. That's the new GT3. Um, you gave it a nine out of ten, which is yeah, I'd, I'd back that up. Um, massively, it, it's significantly I, I, more I, capable of track. Yeah, I gave it a nine out of ten because you know, despite the reservations that we've talked about. Um, what actually matters is and this is kind of like you know the test that you supply to all cars you know how good is it is the job it's designed to do bloody awesome what else would you rather have to do that job for anything close to this kind of money forget it there isn't anything there's nothing close and, uh, that, that, no, that's an important point and, and, and that is why despite the fact that i do have reservations about its behavior on the road to me it's a nine out of ten car um all day long uh, and there's people and if you don't um, spend much time looking at our road test reviews on the Instagram site, you will know we basically, in our entire history, we've only given one 10 out of 10 because you can't, being the best, best in its class, which the GT3 is, uh, is not enough. You've got to completely change the game. Um, and, you know, so it's not, it's not that. But, um, yeah, um, solid 9 out of 10 car. Absolutely. Good. Okay, let's leave that there. Let's just do two minutes on the weekend's Grand Prix at Imola. Um, because it was a, it, I mean, such a compelling race. It's exactly what we want from Grand Prix racing: tricky conditions with changeable weather, and a circuit that punishes mistakes. That um, it, it looked like as the track was drying, it, it was very, very difficult for the drivers to tread that line um, between sort of glory and disaster. Which is exactly what we want. We want them to be on the edge and really pushed to the limit. Of course, the big talking point was the Russell Bottas crash. Bit of a plane crash, scary. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a pity that George Russell has either been compelled to come out and apologise, or he felt he had to. I don't. Maybe it was his conduct afterwards that he was apologising for as much as anything. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I understand why. You know, if you look at the bigger picture. He's, he's vying for that Mercedes seat, taking points away from the factory Mercedes team in the Constructors' Championship, which might be very tight this year. It's probably not entirely sensible. Um, but oh, we want our young racing race- driver. We want he's them to racing- have a killer instinct, don't we? Yes. We want them I to. Mean- we want them to go for the move. Who was it who said, if you don't go for the gap, you're not, or you can't call yourself a racing yeah, driver anymore? Senna. Senna. And, yeah, and, you know... I know that, you know, Toto Wolff came out and said, you know, he should have borne in mind that it was a Mercedes and he's a Mercedes driver and everything. But, you know, come on, he's a racing driver. He is a young gun. And, you know, instead of making him, you know, write or get someone to write that ridiculous uh, apology uh, on his behalf, you know, really, you know, Mercedes would be would spend it would spend its time much more profitably if it sat there and thinking to himself, what was actually going on here? This was a Williams overtaking a Mercedes-Benz. How did we get ourselves in a position where, you know, one of our drivers was insufficiently quick enough to keep a Williams off its tail? Um, 
you know, and that is the story. Um, you know, I I think it was it was a marginal move. Um, I don't blame him for taking it. I'm not surprised that it went wrong in all the circumstances. I don't think that Bottas was really to blame at all. I think if you had to point the blame finger of blame at anybody, I think you would point it at Russell. But I think it was overwhelmingly just a racing incident. Um, and you know, and he had a go. And if you think about what those points meant to Williams. Um, that he would have got if he'd made the move stick. Um, you know, compared to Bottas sitting there, you know, ninth or tenth or whatever they, 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 they were squabbling over, which is a complete nothing result for a Mercedes-Benz and an everything result for a Williams. I understand why he did it. Um, and I understand. And, you know, and I see that attitude. I see that approach. And I don't think, to be honest with you, I mean, it was a mistake, I think, ultimately. But I don't think idiot. I think future world champion. You know, because he's got that instinct. Oh, absolutely. And that is what my takeaway is. And I, it would be, it would be so sad if you know, um, you know, they get to Portimao and he finds himself in a similar sort of situation, and you can just see him, you know, tuck into line behind, you know, Valtteri and you know, make, you know little duck here, little duck there, but not go for it because he's sitting there, you know, worried about, you know, what Toto is going to think of it. You know, it's not that's not racing, is it? No, it's not. That's racing. not what he's and employed it, to do. And if you're a Williams over the weekend and you saw your hotshot young racer not go for the move on the, the car in front because it was a Mercedes, you'd think, "What are you doing? We need those points. That was a golden opportunity. You want your your star driver to to make the move, to give it a go, to try and score those points for you." Um, uh, anyway, okay, good. Well, let's leave that there. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and please remember to rate and review the podcast. Um, and Uh, We will be back to talk to you all again next week. Look forward to it. Thanks all. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 